Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can get a copy of this program and other helpful documents. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Tim. I'm Carrie McCoy, and like Tim said, it's time for me to get all up in your business. For the next hour, my guest, Alan Leverett, founder and publisher of the Arkansas Times Magazine, and I will be getting up in the business of how we maneuvered the path of entrepreneurship in pursuit of our dreams. I started my company, Arkansas Flag and Banner, over 40 years ago. During the last four decades, Arkansas Flag and Banner has grown and morphed from door-to-door sales to telemarketing to mail order and catalog sales and now relies heavily on the Internet. Each change in sales strategy required a change in company thinking and procedures. My wisdom, confidence, and my company grew. My initial $400 investment now produces nearly $4 million in annual sales. Each week, you will hear a candid conversation between me and my guest about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that I hope you'll find interesting. Starting and owning a business is like so many things. It takes persistence, perseverance, and patience. I worked part-time jobs for nine years before Arkansas Flag and Banner grew enough to support just me. It's now grown and expanded so much that to operate efficiently, we require, are you ready? A purchasing, manufacturing, shipping, graphics, technology, accounting, marketing, sales, and customer service department, plus a retail store. Twenty-five people make their living from working at Arkansas Flag and Banner. My guest today is Alan Leverett, who, in 1974, with a few friends, launched the Arkansas Times, an alternative monthly magazine about political and cultural news in Arkansas. Following the 13-year war between the two newspapers, Arkansas Gazette and Arkansas Democrat, which resulted in the closing of the Gazette in 1991 and the renaming of the Democrat to the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Allen decided it was time to take his Arkansas Times monthly newspaper to a weekly publication. Allen said, and I quote, we wanted to keep the Gazette's voice alive in the community. Allen's company also publishes El Latino, a weekly Spanish newspaper serving the Hispanic Latino community, Arkansas Food and Farm, a magazine published twice during the growing seasons, and Savvy Kids, a monthly magazine for Central Arkansas families. In January of this year, the Times launched the Arkansas Nonprofit News Network, ANNN, which is, according to Times editor Lindsay Mylar, a nonpartisan news project dedicated to producing journalism that matters to Arkansas. And last but not least, when Alan is not trying to change the world, he is a second-generation farmer or third? Mm, third. Third-generation farmer. Welcome to the table, the super-ambition, Alan Leverett. Hey, mm-hmm. Alan. Good afternoon, Carrie. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for coming. You're a rock star. When I told everybody you were going here, they were like, what? You, you have any people that really love you or really don't? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like me, isn't it? Uh, is the Times a magazine or a newspaper? And what's the difference? Uh, well, the Times, I guess I'd have to say is a newspaper because the Times is much, much more current than when we, we were a monthly magazine for 17 years. And as a monthly, we could sort of stand back and and, uh, and write from a little bit more of a perspective. But the Times is right in the middle of what's going on in terms of politics, in terms of culture, in terms of weekly music, uh, live music, entertainment, dining. So uh, I would have to say that it's uh, it's more, much more of a newspaper than it was years ago. So what, what's the difference between a magazine and a newspaper? Well, the spine. Uh, 
Because well, they fold differently, don't they? Well, no, but a magazine is going to be, uh, well, the magazine is going to be, first of all, graphically, it's going to be, oh, yeah. you've got more time. I mean, you've got your, you, you can plan out. It's going to be less on breaking news. We're very, very, we're very, very or- oriented towards, uh, like, towards breaking news. So, like, several years ago, there was briefly an outbreak of violence on 12th Street. Uh, up, uh, I forgot the, what was it? It was a shooting. Anyway, there was a riot. And in 24 hours, that was our cover story. Yeah. Uh, whereas if it had been a magazine, that'd have been two months later. Yeah. So we're you know we're we're covering the legislature. We have people out at the legislature. Uh, Max Brantley with the Arkansas blog, ArkansasTimes.com. His blog is he'll do twenty posts a day. What? Uh, oh yeah. No, he'll be sitting there uh, watching the live feed of the legislature and uh, on the debate and every on the debates and everything. Plus, he knows where everybody is buried in the state of Arkansas. So. Uh, he can bring that uh, 50 years of experience as a, as a working journalist, his knowledge of the legislature and technology, and deliver really good, insightful Does anybody reporting. else do that? Do blogs, like 20 blogs a day from the legislature? No, or is he no the one, only one? No, no one's doing that now, in the, right now in this market, and no one does it as persistently as Max does. Well, that's so, wonderful. Yeah, so it's really good. If you're, if you're interested in breaking news and breaking news from a really, really informed left-of-center perspective, uh, Max at ArkansasTimes.com, the Arkansas blog, is the place to go. Is that free to be on the Arkansas Times? Everything at the Arkansas Times is free except the Arkansas blog, and the Arkansas blog is a meter. It has a metered paywall. So, like, you can go there ten times a month free of charge. And then we cut you off because we're trying to all of us live indoors. And as you said, technology is changing. And so we are trying to uh, find new advertising revenues and new revenue streams. And what we found is that we need to be. You need money. The, the, we need money. Yeah. yeah the people, the technology people, is expensive. The, the people who, well, the people are expensive. People like Max who have the experience and the knowledge and the know-how. I've got to pay them. And so readers have got to step up and help pay that bill, too, not just advertisers anymore. Yeah. And so the Arkansas Times is free. It's everywhere. You can oh, yeah. pick it up everywhere. So Ar- you can't make money off of that. It's not like the newspaper where you have a subscription. There's well, no subscription. We, we may, we, the Arkansas Times, you know, we, we, like, we joke internally we're aspirationally profitable. But uh, the Arkansas Times sells advertising. We sell a lot of advertising. Yeah. Plus we do other things. Like you said, El Latino. We do Arkansas Wild Magazine, which is eight times a year. It's a statewide. We do two bike magazines a year, four Arkansas Wild magazines a year. Uh, we do Paddle magazine once a year. Uh, we do a lot how of things. How many employees do you have? We have 35. And how many freelance people do you have? A few. We use some freelance. We rely on the Arkansas Times. We're probably 80% staff written. We've got seven full-time staff members on the Times. This has been a rough time for newspapers uh, all over the United States. You know, the Democrat has, has had to lay off, gosh, I don't know, 15, 20 reporters since January. And we have been able to avoid that, but it's been very, very difficult. How many words a day do you read? I don't know. <laughs> I don't read as much as I need to, I think. That. Oh, I cannot even imagine. So let's talk about how you got started. For all the people that are young and are trying to get started mm-hmm. and are and admiring you, I read you started your media career in college. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, actually, I started a newspaper at North Little Rock High School called Essence, and I was actually a conservative 
activist, a conservative political activist in high school. I came from a very conservative family politically and was active in Young Americans for Freedom. And so I started Essence in high school my senior year and then took it to college with me. And it was a libertarian, independent student newspaper. That's not conservative. Well, it is, actually. It's, Libertarianism it's is conservative? Remarkable. What's the definition of that? Well, for libertarian libertarians believe in very, very limited government. Oh. And so they want to keep the government out of your pocketbook. They also want to keep the government out of your bedroom. So, well, I you know, agree it's, with it's, that. It's actually sort of like, you know, I, I respect libertarians the way I respect the Catholic Church. You know, I, don't, I don't agree with their stance on abortion, but it's very, very consistent with their pro-life stance on the death penalty. I respect the Catholic Church because even though I disagree on abortion, they are very, very consistent in their pro-life. Not like many evangelical conservatives who say, well, we're pro-life when it comes to uh, abortion, but we're all for the death penalty. Oh, I never thought about that. So libertarians are the same way. Whereas the social conservatives, they want to get the government out of your pocket, but they want to put the government back in your bedroom. Uh, Libertarians are very consistent in saying that we want as little government as possible. I've never thought about either of those issues. So after you got out of college, you started another newspaper. Jim Bell, the owner of Publishers Bookshop, gave me $200. I asked Jim if he wanted to buy stock. And he said, well, how much are you looking for? And I said, what do you got? He says, well, I'll give you $200. I said, great. I'd been down to Parkin Printing Company, and I bought me a blank stock certificate. So I filled it out and gave it to him, and he gave me $200. Found out years later he had written down in his checkbook donation because he never expected to see the $200 again. So that newspaper was called? Union Station That's Times. That's right. And which eventually morphed into Arkansas Times because we realized we couldn't make a living as a neighborhood newspaper. And uh, we were down on this little railroad house down on 2nd Street by the train station, Union Station. And David and I lived in the back, and then we put out the, uh, and our volunteer staff, we put out the... Was it conservative? No, it was... Um, he was moving in a more liberal direction. It was mainly it was focused. It wasn't so political. It was really focused on investigative reporting. We weren't near as uh, peggable, if you will. Uh, although I remember Siebert uh, Distributing, they were the magazine distributor here in Little Rock back then. And Mr. Siebert decided we were communist. And I was where he came up with that. But he said we were communist, and so he wouldn't distribute us. So that's when we started having to put out boxes and come up with all kinds of ways to get the newspaper in people's hands. And that Union Station newspaper Union that Station was investigative Times. reporting morphed Prime into the Arkansas Times. Today. Right, as we it became Union Station Times and Arkansas's Union Station Times. In 2015, you did a really big investigative story, and you broke some news in northwest Arkansas. They got picked up nationally. Oh, yeah. All right, it's time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to ask Alan his opinion about the future of media in America, about what drives a person to want to be a newspaper man with its deadlines, cutthroat competition, and inflammatory headlines. We'll hear his favorite news story, and last, what it's like to be a farmer today in Arkansas. You 
are listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Alan Leverett, publisher of the Arkansas Times, El Latino Newspaper, Arkansas Food and Farm Magazine, and Savvy Kids, just to name a few of his publications. So, Alan, the Arkansas Gazette, I read when I was doing the research for you, mm-hmm. started in 1819 mm-hmm. in Arkansas before it was even a state. Right. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. When it folded in 1991... Its assets were purchased by the then-Democrat newspaper. Mm -hmm. What did you think about all that? Because you were already in business. My second job was writing weekend obituaries at the Arkansas Democrat. I could barely type. And my third job was being the weekend obituary writer at the Arkansas Gazette a year later. So I'd worked at both papers, and that's probably the lowest of the lowest entry-level jobs, is not only only to be the obit writer, but be the weekend obit writer. (laughs) But I knew that the Gazette was by far the, the best paper in terms of reporting, in terms of journalism. Had a sorry business office. Absolutely, there was nothing but order takers. But uh, what a salesman in amongst them. And, you know, they were, the Democrat was only a quarter of the size of customers as the Gazette had. Right, but you had you had a very, very dedicated publisher. You had a young guy that had a very, very deep pockets from his family's... Are you uh, talking about Mr. Husband? Yes. And uh, yeah, he was young then. And he had very deep pockets. His family had been doing cable television for years and years. So he was able just to outlose the Gazette. And then when, when the owners of the Gazette sold out to uh, uh, Gannett... You know, we thought, well, that's the end of the Democrat. But yes, what, right. But what we didn't realize is that for Gannett, this was a business decision. How many millions of dollars they were going to lose, they had to answer to stockholders. For Mr. Hussman, it was a lifestyle decision. I mean, do you want to be publisher of the daily newspaper in Little Rock, Arkansas? And that's a, that's a, that's a life, and that's, that's hard to put a, a value on. And evidently, he put a greater value on it than uh, Gannett and their stockholders did. And so ultimately, they they walked and he took over. And I will tell you, I think the Democrat today is a very good newspaper, and we're lucky to have a local owner. You see some of the sorriest papers in the world in some cities much larger than ours because they're daily papers. Uh, business is tough. You don't have a publisher that will commit personal resources to keep that paper alive and keep it doing what it ought to be doing for its community. And I think the Democrat does that. You know, we are lucky to have a local owner for our newspaper. Yeah. And it's not yeah. some big corporation in New York that's running exactly. it. And when I read about how good Walter Hussman did and what a great businessman he was and how competitive he was and how he just was not going to fold... When his subscribers were low, he went to the Gazette and said, do you want to buy my paper? And they said no. And 13 years later, they're folding, and he's buying their assets Mm -hmm. for probably 10 cents on the dollar. I'm sure it's frustrating, though, because when he took that over, basically he had a printing press for money when he was able to finally win that newspaper award. It wasn't five or six years later the bottom fell out of the newspaper business. But I'm sure he's made it back. But I'm, yeah, I'm and he's one of Walter. And the Arkansas Gazette's one of the newspapers that is solvent across America. When everybody was not, it was solvent and is sometimes used as an example of how to do business. Oh, the Arkansas Gazette. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was, uh, it was wildly profitable. Mm-hmm. So when this happened, mm-hmm. it made you change the how you wanted to mm-hmm. do the Arkansas mm-hmm. Times. You wanted to jump in and maybe. It was very, very important. If you go back to the 1957 integration crisis, what saved Little Rock 
uh, in my opinion, in terms of sort of the soul of Little Rock, was while the community and the Arkansas Democrat basically had uh, turned themselves over to the mob, the Arkansas Gazette took a very principled stand, went through it in a very, very uh, difficult advertiser boycott and said basically we need to follow the law here, the law of land disintegration we need to integrate Central High School for that reason all the banks the retailers, the department stores all walked out on the Gazette they lost a million dollars that year and that was when a million dollars was a million dollars Yeah. and the Gazette won the admiration of most of the journalists in the nation at that time because of the family's willingness to, to take that hit and so when that newspaper was shutting down and its assets were being taken over by the old segregationist uh, afternoon paper that you know was the Democrat, um, or that was their heritage, and it was a very conservative paper, I just felt like that we needed to keep that voice here in the community. And so I went out and uh, Mara Leverett, my wife at the time, she said, well, why don't we take the magazine and turn it into a, a weekly newspaper? And I looked at it, and I said, that's a great idea. So I raised $680,000 from 22 business people here in the community, and we took the monthly Arkansas Times magazine to weekly and hired the senior staff of the Arkansas Gazette as they were hitting the streets. Oh, so you gave people jobs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't, didn't give everybody a job, but we gave... The best. Gave a lot of people. George Fisher came to work for us, and Ernie Dumas, and Max Brantley, and a lot of people, yeah. I bet that was a really exciting time in your life. It's, it's still exciting. <laughs> uh, you have a lot of publications, not just the Arkansas Times. Yeah. Uh, you have the El Latino newspaper, the Arkansas mm-hmm. Food and Farm Magazine, Savvy Kids. You named a few others. How do you manage all of those newspapers? Well... Uh, there's other people that, that are responsible for a lot of those titles. Um, I'm responsible for more than I wish I was. But so there's a managing editor for each oh, one of them. Oh, yeah, those. yeah. There's an editor for each Do one of Do you those. read each one of them? Yes, yes. Before they come out? No, I don't read before they come out. I read after they come out. There's no way. I mean, if I had to sit there, and first of all, if i got to read everything and approve it, that I need to get a different editor. Oh, um, I gotcha. No, I don't read anything before it comes out. Uh, I've got great people. I trust them. Uh, and I respect them, and I don't always uh, agree with them. And sometimes I'll come after the fact, and I'll say, "I wish you hadn't done that," or "Why did you, why did you uh, run a cover with black and red, with a black background and red type that no one can see in a newsstand?" But you know, stuff like that. But no, to the extent that you possibly can, you need to have a wall between editorial and, and business. I represent the business side. And I'm under enormous pressure from from the business side to make compromises. So, so when you say you're under the business side, do you mean you sell ads? I sell ads. You bet. I'm 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 the salesman in chief down there. I started out as the editor. No one could sell an ad. So I said to my friend Bill Terry at the time, who had been just been fired from the Democrat, I said, Bill, you take over. You you write the stories, and and I'm going to go see if I can sell some ads. Because if I don't, we're going to be out of business next week. And uh, this was '74. And so I went. I walked down the street to the Shack Barbecue, and God love him, the guy there bought a half-page ad, and I thought, well, shit, maybe I can do this. <laughs> you know? So that was my that was my training. <laughs> well, it is very impressive when you come in, Alan, and you're ready, and you're selling an ad. I mean, you came to see me a couple of years yeah. ago and said, Karen, I need an ad," and I was like, "You're here to see me as busy as you are," and I mean, you're just kind of like, "Okay, I'll buy an ad." Well, that's great. We need to talk. <laughs> uh, so, how do you find your stories? 
well, you don't you, really have to do that. You have reporters that do that. Oh yeah, that's their job. Although I mean, I hear stuff all the time because I'm out. I, you know, I pollinate a lot of flowers. I talk to a lot of people because I'm I'm on sales calls, and they're interesting people. I love selling, and one of the great things about doing what I get to do is that I will sit there and I'll talk to a small business owner. At 9 o'clock and at 10 o'clock, I'm talking to a banker, and at 11 o'clock, I'm talking to a farmer, and at 1 o'clock, I'm talking to a flag and banner owner. <laughs> so you get to talk to a lot of people. You get to – it's a very eclectic day. So your riders, do you have a lot of turnover in riders? No, we don't. Uh, How do you not have a lot of turnover in riders? Which position at your place turns over? And do you have to hire those people and fire them? We, or do you have an office manager that does all that? No, I mean, I have, to, I have to let people go sometimes. Sales is always a challenge. It's not that we have a lot of turnover. It's very hard to find people who um, can do that, who like to do it. You've got to have thick skin. You've got to have energy. You've got to be fearless. You can't be afraid of other people telling you no or being mean to you. We find that women are much better. As salespeople, we find that teachers are very good salespeople. Really? Yeah, school teachers, because they're, they've, they've been up in front of people explaining stuff for a long time. Uh, they know how to present, they know how to hold people's attention. Yeah, that's really interesting because you know my sales manager, who is awesome, is a teacher. Yeah, well, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, the idea of salesmen being some sort of shyster or something is silly. So, yeah, we find that uh, teachers are good. I find that educated women, young women tend to just be, they'll walk through walls. Sometimes I'll just want to put my foot into a guy's tail end because he's just, you know, he can't take it. He does, you know, he gets his, someone's insulting to him and it ruins his week. And it's like, get over it, man. A woman will just sit there and let it bounce right off of her and go on to the next one. So, uh, anyway, and those are just, those are gross generalizations. Yes. And, and please, no one sue me for sex discrimination. <laughs> well, you're going the right direction for suing. If you just said it the other way, you'd be in trouble. Uh, um, but your riders don't turn over much. No. And you don't use a lot of freelance riders. No. We just lost a rider, great rider, but it was for personal reasons. had nothing to do with, uh, with us. What is it you like about the publishing business the most? Well, the thing that gets me up in the morning is that... That's actually one of my questions. What gets you up in the morning? It's that the times... You, I, think, I think all of us in life look for something larger than ourselves. Okay. We look for we all look for meaning in in life, and so for me, being able to get up and I'm not the engineer, I'm not the guy, I'm not the editor, I'm not putting out the stories, but I'm I'm the fireman on that locomotive. I'm pitching the wood into the fire, keeping keeping the steam up, and, yeah. and that's that's my role, and I'm real content with it. So my job is to back up my editors, find the money to pay them. And let them do their do their job. And the only real influence that I have is that I hire them. But once I hire them, so long as they're doing their job, then I get out of the way. A good publisher, in my opinion, is a publisher that knows when to leave the room. A good manager of any kind. Well, that's... Did it, did, that, you probably weren't always that way. You probably started off wanting to write. Oh, I did. All I, when I started the Times, all I wanted to do was write. And I went to my friends. I was uh, writing, I was editing and doing most of the writing for Essence, which was this independent student newspaper out of UALR that we did for three years. 
And all I wanted to do was write, and I didn't want anyone telling me what to write. I wanted, I had ideas, that stories I wanted to write, and I wanted to write them. And I thought, well, we'll find some Jake Lake to sell the ads, and all of us cool guys will sit here and write and find somebody who's sold out to be the salesman and, and who's all, only interested in money. And I found out very quickly that there, everybody else wanted to write too, and nobody wanted to write. No one wanted to sell. No one wanted to go out and do the work, which was selling. And, which uh, was grow the business. Yeah, I mean, just to be able to it, pay the rent. We talk about that all the time on this show. That you get stuck on in being in the business instead of working. That managers get stuck in the business instead of working on the business. Yeah. And working on the business is really where the owner and manager needs to. There was a great. Very influential story I read in the magazine, trade magazine, Folio, 40 years ago. And it said, it was a cover was all these, it was a photograph of a cemetery, all these tombstones. And they had written the names of all these dead magazines on the tombstones. And the headline said, so you want to start a magazine. And the, the advice that they said, it says, whoever has the vision editorially, they need to get out of the editorial office and into the community. Whoever it is that is consumed with this mission that this publication is going to have, they need to be the ones out there conveying that to the business community and not sitting there trying so to how write do all you, the stories. So how do you quench your thirst to write? Do you go home and write in your journal? Are you writing a book? I don't write. Not you don't any, write anymore? No, no, very little. So you have this burning desire to write, and you don't do it anymore? No, it's writing's hard work. And I guess maybe, you know, I'm, I've been doing this 43 years. Maybe I've gotten a little lazy. But I, I do a little writing. I write maybe one or two columns a year. I'll get incensed about something, yeah. and, and uh, I'll sit down. You and blog? Write. You have your own blog? No. That'd no. be a great outlet for you. Yeah. I'm going to push for you to get a blog. Yeah. What's the most challenging thing about being a newspaper man? Just contending with the change in the marketplace, the Do move from print to digital. If I hear one more person tell me print is dead. They're um, wrong. They're wrong. Absolutely, they're wrong. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that in advertising at Arkansas Flag and Banner. Snail yeah, mail yeah, outperforms you, Google AdWords. I'll look at something and they'll say, well, no one reads print anymore. I'm going, well... I had 23,000 newspapers picked up last week, and somebody's picking them up. I can spend $10,000 on Google AdWords and not drive as many people to my website as I can with $2,000 in mailing. So I can, it is. People think snail mail's gone, and it is not. You know what else I'm thinking about? Legislature affects your business, doesn't it? Well, state government advertises. One thing that the Republicans have been pretty effective at is that they are very careful that taxpayer money does not go to publications that uh, oppose their policies. Oh, that uh, makes sense. We may talk about that later. If we have time, you can be more specific. But it's time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to ask Alan his opinion about the future of media in America. We'll find out what his favorite story is, and I think I already know what that is, and probably his most successful story. And last, what it's like to be a farmer in Arkansas today.
You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Alan Leverett, publisher of the Arkansas Times, El Latina Newspaper, Arkansas Food and Farm Magazine, and Savvy Kids. So we had a question during the break, and it is, with so many people getting their news online, is it hard to be competitive while keeping quality content? Well, first of all, we publish ArkansasTimes.com, which had 450,000 unique visitors last month, according to Google. It's the uh, first or second largest news site in the state. Uh, so we have tremendous traffic there. We put a lot of resources into it. Max is, is there with the Arkansas blog doing breaking news and perspective all day. So it's only Arkansas news too, right? He'll reflect upon the Republican majority of the House occasionally, but uh, yeah, it's primarily Arkansas. And but I tell you, you know, I, I get the I have a subscription to the New York Times that comes every day, the newspaper, and then also I subscribe to the Arkansas I mean, the New York Times uh, website, and I will read during the day I, when I get a moment, I'll check and see what's going on. And I'll read a little bit of the New York Times website, and then at lunch. I will take my newspaper by myself, and I'll sit down, and I'll read the newspaper. And there's, I realize there's so much that I miss just just from a, almost a technical point of view of looking at that website, not being able to turn a page and see a story. You know, it's, it's hard to find stories on the web, even on a good website like the New York Times. So I get so much more from sitting there reading my newspaper, but I also read the New York Times. But I always find there's plenty of stuff that I miss that I can sit down at lunchtime and spend an hour. And, uh, and it's hard and to navigate stuff. websites because an ad will come up and you'll shoot off in another direction. Yeah, it's uh, people let it put a lot of thought into actually the print of the newspaper, what stories go together, and how it flows. And you can't really see that on a website as well. Yeah, sometimes sometimes the web sort of makes you have the attention span of a squirrel, mm-hmm. and you, you know you just you're just bouncing all over the place. <laughs> but no, and also I think I think for long form journalism, print is far superior. Uh, it's hard to sit there and read a 3,000-word story online. It just very, very seldom happens, whereas you could sit there with a magazine or a newspaper. And if the story is engaging and the, and the design is engaging, uh, you very likely will get through it. And I feel smart when I'm reading a newspaper. <laughs> I don't necessarily feel smart when I'm reading, although I read on a Kindle. But I do feel smart when I'm holding a book. There you then, go. I don't know why. So that kind of leads us into the next question. What do you see for the future of American journalism and news reporting? I think that in my lifetime, newspapers or print is going is, is gonna to continue. I don't think I really have any great insights on, um, on where journalism is going. People want news. We've already said that it's, print is not out. We both agree on that. Yeah, and in whatever form, whatever technology does or doesn't bring us, people are still going to want news. You know, one of the things that I, I find interesting is... A lot of people, sometimes you go to particularly small business people, and they say, well, we're, we're doing all of our promoting on, on uh, social media, Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting. Here you have a platform that has been so discredited. I mean, you can look at the presidential election, fake news, all the stuff, all the incredible um, untruths that have shown up on Facebook and all these different sites, you know, the Pope endorses Trump and uh, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, if a newspaper did that, no one would read it. They would not trust it uh, or a magazine or, 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 or TV state, TV news or whatever. 
And yet people who have are operating a credible business who know that trust is an integral part of their relationship with their customers, they're relying on a, on a platform that has real credibility problems, which social media has developed. And I, I think Zuckerberg is absolutely aware of this, that they have got to do something to get control of the garbage that is showing up on social media, because otherwise people are not going to want to advertise on it. And I was talking to a friend of mine who publishes uh, the Memphis Flyer, and he was with some bankers in Memphis the other day, and they were moving their budget back into his newspaper. Right. Because they said, look, we're a bank. We've got to have credibility. And after this presidential election and what's been on social media, we don't want our bank and our advertising associated. We don't know where our ads are going to show up on, what they're going to be next to. And uh, so they're wanting something that's curated. And that's what newspapers and magazines do is they deliver curated news that you have someone with a brain and who knows the difference between blatant untruths and truth. And they have they that's done their best. That's a great advertising to, to, tip for people out there that a lot of people feel like they're being pressured to do Facebook advertising and to do Internet advertising. You but have, you just gave some great advice. You have no control what your ad is. Your ad could be sitting next to porn. Your ad could be sitting next to, you know, some some troll from Russia. Uh, my Lord, you, yeah. you go through all this effort to keep control of your message, your company's image, and you're going to put it up on Facebook? Are you crazy? Well, I'm doing it. There you, but there you go. It's cheap is why I'm doing it. <laughs> exactly. And there's a reason it's cheap. It is cheap. Facebook is so cheap. This year you started a nonprofit. We called, did. We started, yeah. Yeah, yeah. called the Arkansas yeah. Nonprofit News Network, ANNN. Right. What's its mission and where do you air it? Well, we it, it, it's available to just about every newspaper in the state. And Lindsay's been working on this, our editor. And basically what it is, it's a way that we can get people – there are a lot of people that are looking for, from a philanthropic point of view, they want to donate money towards quality journalism and information about the state. But, you know, we're a for-profit business, so you really can't donate money to us and, and have it come off your taxes. But by putting this 501c3 together and making it available to newspapers all over the state, then that gives us the money to go out and bring in freelancers. Like we just brought in a staff member on Atlantic Monthly. Really? And she, yeah, she'd won the Pulitzer Prize doing work on foster care around the country. And we came in and we did a whole series on foster care and how we're treating our children in foster care and adoptions in the state. And the recommendations that she made over a period of time were the recommendations that the DHS director recently adopted to improve our foster care system here in the state. So the Nonprofit News Network seeks to publish and broadcast deep examinations of crucial topics and develop major investigative series. That's a really an investigative... Yeah, well, what we're trying to do is bring in experts, people that we couldn't ordinarily afford ourselves. But by being able to tap into the philanthropic community, we can take that money and then we can bring people, either use local people or bring people from out of state... So you can get grants because you're a nonprofit. Exactly. To do, See, to do yeah, social the Times media. can't do that, but no, the, the nonprofit can. Because it's for can. profit. Yeah. We've created a network of, like the Jonesboro Sun, other newspapers around the state, and they have the same access to those. We uh-huh. all have access so share to, to those stories. Yeah, and we want to get, we want to get those messages out. Uh, a few, last year, or maybe it was two years ago, during the, during the Mayflower oil spill, 
Well, we hired a woman who had won a Pulitzer Prize or been a finalist for a Pulitzer Prize uh, for an oil spill on the same kind of thing. It was a ruptured. Actually, I think that was a, a train that turned over. Uh, up on... Um, but it was a catastrophic event. Yes, uh, oil in a river. Oh. And so she really understood how oil is transported and what the, what, the lab, you know, what the problems can be. And she really understood what had happened. And we were looking at the coverage that uh, Mayflower was getting. And no one owned the story. No one had yet come in there and gone... You know, if, you, if, you, if you're interested in what's going to happen to Lake Conway and what's happening to all these people and what the potential damage, the real catastrophic potential, is that that pipeline runs within a few hundred yards of Lake Maumelle. That's our drinking water. Absolutely, for 400,000 people. And if that break in that line had happened five miles further down the road, you know, we'd look like Flint, Michigan. So that's what this rider brought to us. So we brought her down. We rented her a house, and she stayed down here for six weeks, and she did all these stories and did a fabulous job. Rachel Maddow, I was sitting there watching her one night. She holds up a copy of the Arkansas Times and said, these people deserve a Pulitzer Prize. Well, you know, it made my night. But uh, but that's the kind of journalism that if you can marshal these resources in Lindsay's genius is to figure out a way that that – the philanthropic community, if, if someone's so inclined that they can, uh, they can go to him and, and figure out how to make Is this the same group available. that did the legislature who sold his Justice, adopt- No, that was our staff. That, that was, was your that was, staff? That was, that was Benjamin Hardy. And so it uh, wasn't this nonprofit Benji. that found that? No, 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 but that's... Probably ben, was the Benji's, catalyst that started this. Benji's work, which, you know, was just a wonderful piece of, of investigative reporting, an amazing piece of investigative reporting. Benji's work, I think, is what gave impetus for us to try to, uh, I mean, Benji really understood, he understood that issue. Well, tell our listeners what the issue is. Well, uh, Justin Harris, who is a very um, conservative and and, um, some could say judgmental uh, Republican, conservative Republican, uh, who was just always bashing gays and, and just anybody that didn't quite fit the, the, the mold uh, for evangelical conservatism. He had adopted some children, two girls, and over the objections of DHS staff, they said that these, this family was not well-equipped to handle these two children who had had, who'd been through hell. And... Uh, when he got him, he realized that DHS was right. And rather than go back and try to get things changed, he just gave them to a friend of his. And the friend, unfortunately, was a pedophile. And he repurposed his children. He, yeah. And then the children were raped and, and uh, abused. He was convinced that they were possessed by demons. And so they brought up a preacher from Alabama and they did an exorcism. So, you know, all this stuff no one was talking about. And Benjamin, Benji just peeled. It was like peeling back an onion. And he just pulled layer after layer. And you're going, I cannot, you know, when does this finally stop? How does a reporter even find that stuff? Well, you know, he had, he had some sources. And he just kept asking questions. And he asked people. He went up to North Arkansas. And he talked to a former. They had... Um, this guy had a, I can't remember, it was like the Lord's Work Daycare Center or something. I forget the name of it. 
And, That's a red flag. And yeah, well, he was getting millions of dollars from the state, and basically he was running a Sunday school uh, and calling it a uh, daycare center. And so these huh. kids were, and, and the other thing, he just hated immigrants. Oh my lord, illegal immigrant! He was just he was out there whipping every time. You and know, who is the he? Is it uh, Justin Harris? Oh, okay. So yeah. it's our legislature that was doing. Oh yeah, every time the guy that did the rehoming. So every time there'd be an anti, uh, anti-immigrant anti uh, piece of legislation coming up, he'd be sitting up there with the haters and just whipping it as hard as he could. And he had all of these children of illegal immigrants in his daycare that he was getting state money for. You know, just uh, just an, an utter hypocrite. And uh, So he just kept peeling back this onion and finding more and more. more and, and more. finally the nation picked up the story. Yeah. And it went I mean, national. That, that, that month we had over a million unique visitors to our website. In fact, it crashed our website. That's when so, I want to advertise. Would you let me know right before I'll you're about to have I'll, a big... I'll, I'll, then I want to get a full-page ad in there. You there you go. <laughs> Always thinking, aren't I? <laughs> You'll just be there every week. You'll hit the jackpot of the week that it works. Listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Alan Leverett, publisher of the Arkansas Times, El Latino newspaper, Arkansas Food and Farm magazine, and Savvy Kids, plus more. So, Alan, yep. you're a third generation farmer. That's how you relax. When did you start farming? Because I don't think you started farming. About 33 years ago. Oh, I didn't know um, you were doing it that long. I had the opportunity to move out to our old family home place, which is 25 miles north of here. And uh, it's my great-grandfather's old farm that he had bought in 1901. Had an old uh, log house on it that was built in the late 1850s. And I'd been going out there every week, practically, as a child growing up. We'd go out there and picnic. And after 1965, the house was abandoned and slowly fell into disrepair. And finally, the roof caved in. But I always, I kept trying to talk my parents into moving out there. And finally, in 82, was able to. Mara and I went out there. Do you live in the log home? Yeah. Paul bought the farm from Mr. Mason in 1901. It was Mr. Mason's house. Paul lived down the road, and uh, he lived about... Who's Paul? Paul is my great-grandfather. Okay. His father was a a Confederate soldier that uh, started walking west from south carolina after the war and he and his uh, group got here and they said it looked kind of like south carolina charlotte kind of the land reminded them that so they stopped they just kept but they were just wandering after the war and that's where they were originally from yeah right just just south of charlotte and uh but anyway i got out there and had no interest in farming and started a little garden and it was like the peasant genes came out in me it was just like Suddenly I'm out there and look at this land. And so every year the garden would get bigger. And finally it went from sort of being a garden to being a farm. And, uh, and you've got the hands of a farmer. I wish everybody could see your dirty fingernails. I do have dirty fingernails. <laughs> you uh, got dirty hands. you I've, got hands of a farmer. You I've can got, tell. You're in it. I've got a 1,000 tomatoes. We, we grow large heirloom tomatoes, uh, three different varieties primarily. But we always do some, some we're always trialing new, new varieties. What's the name of your farm? Uh, India Blue Farm. 
And uh, we're at the Hillcrest Farmers Market every every Saturday. We'll be there in the morning. And in fact, I've got uh, I don't know anyone south of me that's growing raspberries commercially. So uh, tonight we're picking our first raspberries. So you're doing raspberries. That's a oh, delicate, delicate fruit. And because and because of that, you can't ship it. So a local raspberry is always going to be really superior. But it's hard because raspberries don't do well in the heat. And we're hot. Mm-hmm. It's gotten hotter. And we've lost a lot of plants. Uh, but we these are mulched so deep, that, and then they're irrigated down deep, that it keeps the roots cool and we're able to, to do it. Do you have anything that you want to say? I know you're always thinking, if you could change one thing in the world right now, what would it be? Yeah, I feel like a beauty contestant, a you, world okay. piece. <laughs> How about this? Does it bother you that the media is now able to be owned by so many corporations across so many platforms because that bothers me well i feel like we're losing control of our media but keep in mind at the same time media is so diverse and and think about the the bar to entry someone like me with two hundred dollars you know was able to start very very small and you know if you don't have student debt if you've avoided student debt if you've avoided having children if you've avoided buying a house where you can live on little or nothing and take a night job like you did and like I did. The opportunity is there. And, and media is very, very diverse right now. I mean, one thing you can say about the web is that any Jake leg that wants to get out there and start a blog can do it. And if they're good enough, very likely they can develop a, uh, a following. So Great attitude. don't think of things as static. I mean, you can do something yourself. Don't blame corporations. Go do it yourself. Wow, that's great advice. Yeah, don't buy a house. Don't have kids. <laughs> don't get student debt. So, here, you get a cigar. You smoke. You I, cig- I hate cigars. Well, I've never had anybody tell me that. You want to give it to somebody that does? It's for birthing I, I, a business. I don't think, I, I don't know. You don't even have anybody I can't think it. of anyone I dislike enough to give a cigar. That is so funny. I've never had anybody say that. All right. Give me that cigar back. I'll give you a cigar back. Okay, thanks. Here, give it to me. Who's our guest next week, Tim? Next week is going to be Don Dugan from Dugan's Pub yeah. in Stratton Store. Yeah. I thought Dugan's Pub was a franchise. I'm so excited because I've known Don Dugan for years. So oh, yeah, be no, a- Don, Don does a great job. He sure does. He's going to be on next week. Also, if you have a great entrepreneurial story you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. Send a brief bio and your contact info to questions at upyourbusiness.org, and someone will be in touch. And finally, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with me. If you think this program's been about you, you're right, but it's also been for me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next Friday. Until then, be brave and keep it up. been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Want to hear today's program again or want someone else to benefit from it? Jot this down. Within 48 hours, the podcast will be available at flagandbanner.com. Click the tab labeled Radio Show. There you'll find today's segment with links to resources you heard discussed on this program. Carrie's goal? To help you live the American dream.